Hi. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they're maybe even better for adults. Yes. This week, Oversea Understone by Susan Cooper. Ooh. This book was published in 1965, and it is the first book in the Dark is Rising series. This book, and or technically this series, was a request from multiple listeners um, to name a few. Dan, Jenny, and Aileen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. We also heard from Amy via Twitter that she's excited about the series. So thank you, all of you, for getting in touch and submitting requests. If anyone else out there would like to get in touch with us, write us a note, send us a book you'd like to hear us discuss, our email is dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and uh, never read this book before. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So we do spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before or want a refresher, scamper off and read it, and we'll be here when you get back. Scamper. We start with a quick breakdown of how the publisher chose to package and promote our edition of the book. This is another handsome Seattle Public Library edition. Handsome. We always shout out SPL. Yeah. Um, and Dare I say it's one of the best fantasy covers we've seen. It's so great. And any of the books that we have covered. We will put a picture of it up on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Yeah. So I think it's um, colored pencil. And it's just, it's so, um, oh, wow. Boy, there's just so many layers happening here. It's rich. There's these excited children um, looking at the map at in the bottom middle, and then we've got uh, Uncle Mary over here um, with a sparkle, like a, a, a star in his eye, uh, giving a benevolent um, Gandalf-type expression, uh, and then Some over would say him, a Merlin-type expression. Yes, and then behind him and over him, there is a uh, like ghost outline of of king arthur and his noble steed like looking very stoic and hmm. <laughs> it's just i love that you can start from the front center where you're like okay three children they're excited they're on a hilltop and then you move a little further out and you're like oh this older man is watching over them and his hair is being absorbed into the glowing stones in the background and then you move a little further out and you're like there's a king in the sky and just and a beautiful going. horse with flowing hair gorgeous horse who technically takes up the most real estate on the cover yeah and it's interesting too because it's clearly a um uh, a spiral, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a, an important way to draw attention to each element of it. And it brings like a nice equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And then in the almost middle, we have the shining rock formation that stands guard at the um, top of the headland. Oversea understone. That's right. Where it, uh, the grail is. It's all there, baby. Yeah. So really just 10 out of 10 cover. This one is great. And this, this drawing is by. It is by jacket illustration by Marilee Hayer. Jacket design by Joy Chu. So Joy Chu designed the spiral. Joy had a piece. Yeah. Um, also, we'll discuss this a little more later in the episode, but this edition has really wonderful illustrations mm-hmm. in it by Marjorie Gill, who was an English illustrator. And I love how 
dramatic her work is, but at the same time feeling very real. It's dramatic in terms of the brush strokes and yeah. the, the blackness that yeah. she uses, the way that she uses the ink. Yeah. But it also just looks like three, you know, little kind of grubby kids running around. Um, it, it feels so real. And I really appreciated that. I think she also illustrated my... Um, a little princess that I had when I was a kid. I was going to say it looks familiar. Mm -hmm. It definitely does look like it reminds me of something. So maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, Because yeah, and it's, it's very detailed too. They, she did a great job of just being very evocative because parts of it are much more suggestive than detailed, but then other parts of it are detailed. Parts of the narrative you mean? Uh, Her drawings. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, I like that a lot. I'm flipping through it because I listened to the audiobook, so I hadn't seen these. So these are really, really neat. I think that's everything. I really like this cover. It's got, it's like got an old book jacket too. It's a hard cover, um, with like your little summary on the left hand inside. And then on the back, we've got uh, a different book review <laughs> written by Susan Cooper. Um, and, oh, and then there's a quote on the back, which is like my favorite uh, to just like take a chunk from the mm-hmm. book and put it on the back because a, a stirring passage. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be uh, just better than whatever your publisher thinks is the most marketable. It's also interesting to look at this edition, um, which is clearly older because I learned that Oversea Under Stone, it was written and released slightly before the rest of the books in the series. And it also has a very different tone and approach to the story than the other books in the series um, because it's so primarily based in the real world and the fantasy elements are kind of just around a lot the of edges. Like yeah. They really only start to become more tangible and not just feel like kids imagining things the very toward end the, the end of the book yeah. when they do find the grail I had a moment of what if there's nothing there and this isn't real you know what oh if there boy. was I did not else? have a moment of that because that would be really bleak Grace. no it would I know I know that's <laughs> like hey you set up this entire gorgeous adventure fantasy children's book and then you just break everyone's hearts and I guess maybe that's what I would like to do but it's thankfully not what Susan Cooper did dark place it's like Shutter Island for kids yeah for sure um anyway I think Oversea Understone is the lesser read book from the series even though it's the first reading about it it reminded me a little bit of Chronicles of Narnia where everyone feels like it starts with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe do they, okay, do, like, do they travel to like meet King Arthur and stuff in later books? That's what I was wondering. I haven't read them. Yeah, um, I should have. I should have looked it up. Well, I didn't really. King want Arthur to spoil them. is in the later books. Okay, you know? because this totally felt. If if you want to do the summary, I, but we could touch on this again. This book reminded me, um, in a much more sophisticated and uh, detailed way of the magic treehouse books when i was a little kid I oh my god i really loved those um, Whoa. historical fiction was my favorite when i was a child which I is totally forgot about those why i'm so cool today well yeah we, we've <laughs> never really touched on that but um i also and i loved the 
Dear America diaries. Oh, um, oh my gosh. The, I had like the Royal Diaries. Um, Loved the Royal Diaries. Yeah, so also definitely interested in some historical fiction yeah. um, with some maybe real figures involved. Right. Um, anyway, the Magic Treehouse books. I totally forgot about those. We can we can go more into that if you want to do the summary now. Yeah, so we don't get ahead of ourselves. Oversea Understone opens with the Drew family arriving in Trewisic. 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 A uh, town in Cornwall, which is an area in the southwestern corner of England. Trewisic is Trewisic. Trewisic is not a real place. Um, it is a fictional a fictional town, but it is based on a, a city that Susan Cooper would, or based on a seaside town that Susan Cooper would go to as a child. Hmm. Um, so a lot of the Drew kids' adventures are pulled from Susan Cooper's own life. Cool. The kids are there with their parents who... Don't really matter. No, <laughs> um, the parents do not matter. And they like care. Like they're very just like, oh, those kids are a handful. And then they're never around. And the kids are not actually a handful they at all. Not. They're delightful, polite, well-behaved children. So yep. inquisitive. I don't think smart. the parents know their kids. <laughs> it's a great line when after they go out on the yacht with the withers, um, they're sent to bed early because their dad says that they're overtired after Simon imitates an air siren right next to his chair. <laughs> that is true. Crying. That's like normal kids. Stuff. No, no, I know. I, I just feel like there, there are very few moments that aren't like the dad being grumpy and the mom being like, I just need to get some painting done. Yeah. Yeah. The parents are not around. <laughs> anyway, they're there to visit in summer with their, Great Uncle Mary, also known as Gamary, because that's how children run his name together. Yeah, I for until the last couple of pages, I thought his name was Montgomery because they call him Gummery and Mary. Uh, okay. See, I yeah, not. Having, but you read, you I saw read the, the words in the book, right, yeah. But versus, I just heard them saying Gummery and hmm. Mary. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I actually exclaimed aloud, it's Gamary, when they're trapped on the rocks at the end and they hear a boat coming and then uh, Jane says it just a little bit further down the page. Oh my I gosh. Like, I'm in the book. <laughs> I'm, I'm participating. <laughs> okay, so they're staying with their uncle Gamary and they are just going to be like seasiding and their mom's going to paint, their dad's going to fish and they're going to just hang out. And that's what their summer is going to be. And it's neither their house nor Gummery's house. No, they are staying at the captain's yeah, house. Yeah, they're like renting. They never meet house. him. And he lives in a place called the Gray House, which is kind of mysterious. There are a lot of old books and maps and yeah. possible treasures. And the children are exploring the house one day. And they discover that there is a staircase behind their wardrobe in their bedroom. And they take it to a room where they find a lot of dust and mess and they find a mysterious map. And they're trying to figure out where that map might lead or whether it's something real. They notice some Latin on it that they attempt to translate and just some general old English that they're not too sure about. But they see some names that indicate something maybe about King Arthur. Mm -hmm. 
who they all know a lot about and who Barney idolizes. <laughs> um, the Okay, I never named the children. Simon, Jane, and, Bar- and Barney, a.k.a. Barnabas. They have pretty normal British children names. Yes, they do. So Jane decides to explore after the other, uh, her siblings go out on a yacht with some neighbors who seem kind of uncool, but are very prominent. Like they keep showing up and they're like, hey, come on our boat. Hey, can I look around your house? Hey, did Something you find a map? seems off about them from the very beginning. Yeah, their dog Rufus doesn't trust them. The, the dog is a mysterious creature who appeared at the shore when yeah. they first got to uh Trowisic, um but becomes a member of their family oh i hope he's like some sort of magical creature i certainly do as yeah. well i mean rufus knows what's up so he is at least more tuned in than your average stray dog well so while the boys are on the boat with the withers who invited them out Jane decides to do a little exploring of her own and she finds a guidebook to the town in a chest that's in the hallway of the gray house. And she notices a description of the town and a map of how it's laid out that is different from the modern maps that they have looked at because they've been trying to figure out how this ancient crumbling map that they found in the attic of the house Mm -hmm. may relate to their city or whether it's of somewhere else because they're just they're not sure they don't really know where it could be and she sees some words that indicate that the map is of their town namely she finds something that says okay so the the map they find in the attic says king mark head on it right And then the guidebook that she finds says Kamar Head. Yes, Kamar Head. And that's the actual name of the headland over the sea that's Mm -hmm. right behind the gray house. Yes. Um, So the guidebook helps her put the two together. She notices that it was written by the vicar of the town. So she decides to go see him to try to get some additional information. She goes to the vicarage and meets a man who is decidedly not the vicar. Yeah, a man who isn't the vicar. Also very unsettling. Um, his face is in shadow yeah. and his eyes glint evilly. So. Right. And I think he's some sort of like evil uh, spirit he's or something. the darkness. Yeah. yeah he's a <laughs> bad force. He's not human. Mr. Hastings, yeah. we'll call him. <laughs> and For that is his name. He gets really worked up when he sees the book that James has and she tries talking to him for a bit and then gets creeped out and books it out of there so then their house gets robbed (laughs) and it's you know interesting timing that that happens right after she shows this book to mr hastings and says yeah there's some old stuff in there but we never touch the captain's things we're not allowed (laughs) do they actually take anything or do they just rifle through everything because they're looking for that map but they don't find it because jane put it in her bed i'm pretty sure they take the maps that are on the walls okay Okay. um but those are just uh just maps yeah they're they're not magical or tied to arthurian legend yeah so they don't matter womp womp um, and yeah, anything that seems like it may have been of uh, academic or uh, cartographical, cartographical importance is mm. taken, but all the valuables are left. So everyone's like, this is really weird. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, at that point, the children show Great Uncle Mary the map and talk to him about it. And he is like, you know, 
you're onto something here. And this area is actually the land of Logros, which is the old English Arthurian name for Trewisic and Cornwall and the place that they're, that they're currently staying. Um, and they start trying to figure out how to read the map and what it might be pointing to. And they realize that these great pillars of rock that are on the top of Kamar Head are some kind of signpost. Mm -hmm. And they figure out how the map is also telling them that at a particular time of day and then at a particular time of night, the sun and then the moon will throw shadows from those stones in directions that point to what whatever it is that they need to find. And Gamari also says... You know, this is important and clearly the three of you need to be involved somehow, but this is also very dangerous and there are a lot of people trying to find this map and find what it is pointing to. Mm -hmm. And that becomes clear very quickly um, because they go back to the headland to try to work it out, but they meet um, Polly Withers, one of the bad people, along with her like errand boy bill <laughs> yeah i feel i hope I don't that know. bill is further expanded upon in further books because i don't really get what his whole What's going deal on with is bill? Well, yeah so polly and bill find them and are like did you find a map <laughs> and the kids are like wow you could not be more obvious right now. yeah um and they uh, evade them and then Polly appears while they have the map unrolled and are consulting it because they've figured out where one of the shadows is pointing. And then there is a chase and Simon has to hide from Bill and it's very stressful. And Bill is also seen with a mysterious shadowy man who we realize is Mr. Hastings. But Gamari comes in a car and saves him and takes him home. Yay. That night, they go back out to the rocks with Gamari because they... They do say Gummery in I'm saying Gamari. Okay, that's fine. Um, because Great Uncle Mary would be said Gamari, not Gummery. You uh, know? I don't know. I paid money for that audiobook. It was on Audible. <laughs> And it gets very frightening. They hear a hooting sound and they see a shadowy figure. Yeah. And that part is really scary. There are a few scary parts in this book. As a claustrophobic, the ending was very upsetting and it was hard for me to read. But I thought about you. We'll get there. Um, caves are not my thing. Uh, and they flee and Gamari gets separated from them. And it's very confusing and scary. And the children start to have more of a, a sense of foreboding about what exactly is going down. Mm -hmm. Then it's time for, okay. They figure out both of those clues and then they've deciphered that they need to go to a point on another area of the coast, another like rocky outcropping. Mm -hmm. And they go there and with Rufus's help, <laughs> they're talking, they find a mysterious, very deep hole that leads down to the ocean, it seems like, but it's so deep that they can't really do anything with it, and it's too narrow for them to try to climb down. So they figure that they must need to go down below the stone <laughs> under the rocks at low tide and try to walk around. A local fisherman tells them that it's the lowest tide of the year, coincidentally, <laughs> those few days. <laughs> Just reminded me so much of... 
you know, those books and games where it's like, this phenomenon with the moon only occurs once in a million years, and it's tomorrow. Tolkien. Yes. <laughs> it happens a lot. Yeah. And I get it. I get it. But mm. it's always funny. It is. Yeah. To lead that charmed life. You know, that's what I. Well, you have to be that's why I haven't found any secret passageways. A great yet. hero. I know. Um, and I'm not. Womp womp. Uh, after that, it is a big festival in town, and their housekeeper, Mrs. Polk, creates some chaos and sends them all off in the wrong directions. Yeah, and up to this point, she's been, like, friendly and momish and chill. And Except then... for when she was snooping in Barney's room while he was sleeping. Well, right. Before that point, mm-hmm. like, you never suspect her at all, and then suddenly it's like, oh, <laughs> wow. I know. She is... Sinister. Yeah. Um, and at the festival, she sends Gamari to another town, saying that the children have gone there to mm-hmm. try to separate him and get him out of the way. So the kids are still working on figuring out the map and figuring out next steps, but they are separated because there are a few different tasks that they need to carry out. And in the parade procession, Barney gets kidnapped. Barney gets kidnapped by a sexy lady in a cat costume. <laughs> Catwoman. Yeah. Uh, who turns out to be Polly, and he's taken to what we later realize is the vicarage, the same place that Jane visited earlier. And I keep wanting to call her Susan. I think it's just because of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, well, and the name of the author is Susan. Yeah. Name of the author is Susan. And Mr. Hastings question, questions Barney. In a very evil way. In a very evil way, although also with a large platter of sandwiches. <laughs> so, it's a good way to get people to give you it what works. you want. Yeah, it works. Um, and makes it makes their mission known to Barney, but paints himself and his compatriots as the good ones and Gamari as the evil one. Yeah. Um, being very subversive. Yeah, he is. And uh, Barney is a small child, but he manages to figure out that like, okay, I probably shouldn't just tell him everything right now. He doesn't really fall for it. But then he falls into a hypnotic kind of state after he, uh, Barney says a, sort of Arthurian type line Mm -hmm. and then Mr. Hastings says that the dark will always win and it controls Barney. Yeah. So they take Barney to the coast to try to force him to show them where the grail is. The spot that they've figured out is under the dark hole. Yeah. But Rufus lets out a stirring howl (laughs) and he wakes Barney out of his trance and he manages to re- reunite with his siblings so the three of them are like okay this is it it's time we don't know where gummary is gummary is (laughs) but we need to go try to get the grill because the folks are going to get in their boat their yacht and they're gonna beat us to it Mm -hmm. um so they realize that the tide is on its way out now or never they go down to the rocks below the hole where they think it is and they find a very terrifying cave that I'm not really going to talk about. But anyway, Barney goes and gets the grail in the cave, <laughs> come back out. And at that point, they've been surrounded. The withers are waiting to attack them and take the grail and the manuscript and the really tense scene and the secret manuscript that was inside the grail. Um, and there is a 
an action sequence where everyone's trying to like jump on slippery rocks. It's very stressful and the tide is rising. And then Gamari shows up in a speedboat with the fish, the kindly fisherman who's been helping them throughout the book. Yeah, like and the, the uh, Barney throws the grail to Gamari and then Simon tries to throw the manuscripts, which are safe in their telescope tube. But Mr. Withers hits them with a, an oar trying to intercept them. They break open. The manuscript crumbles to dust in the ocean. But the secret little manuscript in the lead tube just falls straight down. Theoretically, it's fine down there, but no one's really going to be able to get it. And the baddies all take off on their yacht. Because they saw the one crumble and they thought that that was the one. Right. They don't, they maybe don't know about the existence of the second manuscript. Yeah. Um, and the first manuscript doesn't really matter anymore anyway, because it led them to the grill. So it's purpose is done. The kids get in the boat with Gamari and then they get honored by a museum. They get a hundred pounds, a hundred pound check. <laughs> a really annoying reporter is like, what are you going to spend it on? And Gamari is like, get out of here. Yeah. I love how aggressively obnoxious that reporter is. And, Thus ends our story. That turned out to be a really long summary. That's okay, though, because <laughs> we, we, we did uh, yeah, we commentary talked, we talked in it, it a little so, bit. you know, and you you enjoyed it. I did. I did. <laughs> and uh, there's a hint of, you know, maybe we should go look for that other manuscript sometime. Like That's why, why I not? thought I thought that's what the successive books were going to be about. But um, apparently they're not I don't know successive books. Really. No, they, they are, but they're not the main characters mm, anymore. Interesting. It's not about... Children summering in Cornwall because this is really just kind of setting up the larger battle between good and evil that's okay. going to be taking place. You know, this was just a little skirmish. Yeah. Yeah. So it is like Narnia in that way. Yeah, exactly. Like the Narnia Chronicles. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and there you have it. So starting off our discussion... I was thinking throughout this book about whether it was fantasy or not. Um, mm. And it definitely is. It is fantasy. Yeah. But that becomes most apparent by the end. For sure. And it had, it, it feels more like a children's mystery book mm. than a children's fantasy book. Fair. Um, but then we do get a lot of more traditional fantasy elements they just kind of creep in slowly yeah and then sort of hit you <laughs> at the mm-hmm. end of the book which is also when barney realizes that gamary is some form of merlin yeah at um, the very end <laughs> gets a little twinkling look from him and confirmation <laughs> um and i thought that that was kind of fascinating fascinating yeah. <laughs> um and the thing is i today but especially when I was a kid loved mystery books and the light fantasy paired with mystery that's rooted in local myth mm. and legend yeah. is just so satisfying yeah um and it also really evokes that feeling of eternal summer that you experience mm. during a really fleeting part of childhood um where you're working so hard to create your own intrigue and good and evil so it it's something that you can fall pretty deeply into just within your own imagination but then for these children to realize that it's real what they've stumbled Mm -hmm. into is so terrifying (laughs) that you know rightfully so like of course that's going to be 
very upsetting for them. Exciting, but exciting, but also frightening. Um, But I just, I love Barney's little personal rallying cry of no fear that he has throughout the book. He is really cute. He is really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely reminded me of us when we were kids and the games that we would play. Yeah, totally. Um, We worked really hard to come up with some kind of evil plot that was being perpetrated in the neighborhood that we needed to root out and then defeat. Yeah. And if at any point during that process, an adult had like turned to us and been like, get off my case, like go somewhere else. Right. You know too much. Oh my gosh. It would have been so scary. And amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Totally amazing. And the seriousness with which the children take on their task is also uh, so lovely. Inspiring. It is inspiring. And when Barney is deeply afraid in the cave where he finds the grail and he feels that the dark forces are all around him. He remembers that there's an Arthurian knight buried somewhere on that hilltop and his goodness is there too. And he thinks of Gamari and uh, that also fortifies him. And I don't know if there is a term for something that is reminiscent of Diana Wynne Jones's work, but I'm just going to go ahead and call it Wynne Jonesian because we are rooted first and foremost in a world that has a reality that's similar to our own. Right. Um, But then it becomes clear that it is so intertwined with another, not fantasy world necessarily, but whereas in Diana Wynne Jones's works, there tend to be like parallel universes Mm, that are separate entities that you can travel to. Sure. Um, In this one, the kids have been in a fantasy world all along. It was Mm. just unbeknownst to them. So they get to discover that through the course of this mystery, which what could be better? I know. (laughs) Yeah. Even with some scary stuff that happens, they come out on top. I was trying to think of some of the um, kind of conspiracies that we came up with when we were young to try to... Oh, yeah. I remember some. Yeah. The the main one I could think of was the holes being drilled yep, in the in road. This, in the road. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it did look weird. It really did. Yeah. They, I think they did it to increase the elasticity of the asphalt. Then yeah. They filled and them stop in. it from breaking up into... Because it freezes in pieces, Chicago in yeah. the winter. Yeah. Um, and then they filled... The, like, they just did it in, like, a random squiggly patterns all over the road. So we were like... Yeah, we were just playing outside one day. We were biking, I think. Yeah. And then there was this utility vehicle coming down the street. Yeah. And people got out of it. And with jackhammers just started... <laughs> messing up the road yeah this like beautiful <laughs> freshly paved road and we yeah were it was so a bummed. newish it was a new road at that it was, point it was I, I forgot new. that yeah, yeah it had just been redone our mm-hmm. block um and the block we lived on didn't have sidewalks uh so it also felt very i don't know i feel like it made the road feel more like accessible to us as children and it yeah. was like where we would be playing and yeah. stuff mm-hmm. um yeah, what are some others that you can remember? Um, I remember that we were we would be playing out in the front yard and we thought that the people driving mm, by were yes. spies casing our yes. house or property. Um, and uh, likely because there was a bunch of kids like standing at this side of the road, so they were like slowing down to not hit the kids as they drove by. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but do you remember what we would do to... Um, 
combat them. Where we would freeze whatever we were doing. <laughs> and like we would freeze so that they couldn't see, see us. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question what we thought that was going to accomplish. Or I I think it started because we were like, we can't show them what we're working on. Like they'll know our plans. Okay. Yeah. Just truly this lined up with our experiences so closely that I could tell that it was really from her childhood and from things that yeah. she had done in yeah. her explorations. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And, and we would like, sometimes we would hide props or we would find like really cool stuff. We had a big yard. Yeah. Um, the property was really old. It used to be part of like the, the Campbell's, Campbell's soup, tomato, soup, tomato farm. farm. Yeah. And our house had been the farm house so there mm-hmm. were the house was old and creaky and um this was in the uh, chicago suburbs yeah so we we could like pass notes to each other through the walls and like graces yeah there and, were weird holes and there <laughs> different was different areas of the house and different rooms were like connected by closets mm-hmm. and like it was it was a very fun um house and property to be a little kid in because the backyard was so magical it's funny that you keep calling it a property because i never thought of like the property just the yard no, like the the property itself, like it was. A, I don't know. Maybe that's the law school's fault. Yeah, I think I say so. Property instead of yard. <laughs> yeah, because saying the property makes it sound like it was on, you know, like twenty acres or something. Well, we never did really invade our neighbors' yards, but I bet, I bet their properties were uh, pretty cool too. I'm sure. Yeah, especially um, across the street, our neighbor. Uh, they had like legitimate woods on their mm-hmm. property and they think they had like a duck pond mm-hmm. and like, yeah, we should have gone over there more. Yeah, And there was coyotes. Was, well, then that. I, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Then I was scared to go in there because of the packs of coyotes. Yeah. There were a lot of coyotes in the neighborhood. Cause more later, like when we were in college or yeah. out of college and back visiting. But yeah. 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 It was a really cool neighborhood to grow up in. Um, so I really appreciated revisiting that and remembering some of those adventures Mm -hmm. of our own. Yeah, absolutely. So something else about this book that felt very, um, high fantasy to me Mm -hmm. was the super clear delineation between good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it's so clear and right. we get the, I mean, the name of the evil forces is the darkness. Um, it's a pretty metal name. And, uh, there's no question that <laughs> like everyone yeah. involved with Mr. Hastings is bad, is like old timey bad force stuff. Mm-hmm. No good stuff. Yeah. Um, it's also tough because we don't know what the baddies we're going to do we don't know really what they want like what their goal is other than that they are bad yeah so the Um, goal is not something that we want especially because a part of me earlier in the book was wondering do they want to destroy the grail and the manuscripts for some reason we don't I but think they just want to use destroyed them. and they're horrified. Right. By it. I think um, they want to use them for nefarious purposes. Also like some sort of power resides in them that they would be able to access. Well, the panel of the grail that is writing describes Arthur's power and how he can come into power again. Mm. Like uh, describes his return. Um, the second coming of Arthur and yeah, it seems like a Jesus thing. And then the little manuscript from inside the grail that gets lost is understood to be the key to deciphering 
the runes that are on that fifth panel, which we hear all the academics <laughs> discussing at the end of the book, yeah. which is very funny. Yeah. Um, and everyone's <laughs> totally baffled by it. Um, so I don't know. It seems like so that they can thwart the second coming. of Maybe. Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. And, and entropy wins out. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's basically what it is. Along it's those like lines. entropy versus energy. Yeah. So even though it is that like super clear delineation, there is still, there are still some interesting pieces to think about mm-hmm. within that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when I was young, I did read a lot of Arthurian legend fantasy. Mm. Um, I don't really remember like any of what it was. Um, I wasn't able to find the names of the books that I read often, but they all involved it, it was like kid in King Arthur's court type stuff huh. um, or Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court where people travel from our contemporary world back to the time and place of King Arthur. Yeah. Um, I, I not something like stuff. this where we're learning about this, like maybe just legendary figure, but then seeing that they were real. Right. Yeah. No, I don't. Well, <laughs> there was a Magic Treehouse book where they went to King <laughs> Arthur's court. See, so yeah, you, you are familiar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who were those books by? Oh, I don't remember. I'm looking them up no right now. Idea. I think. Oh wow! So many memories flooding back. Looking at these covers, I read and reread and reread and reread those. Mary books. Pope I loved Osborne. Okay. Um. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I, I think when you started reading them, it was like the you were at the right age to read them. You were a little too and old. And I was though. a little too old. Yeah. So, But I still, you know, read them all and enjoyed them. But the reading level is definitely um, for a lower grade than I was at. Kids start learning about an old time and place and then they get to visit it. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, many waters style. <laughs> Uh, uh, way less trippy and bonkers um yeah yeah and you know I think reading this book I was kind of waiting for that to happen I kept thinking the kids were going to be transported yes, yes. and they never I did were not think that they, they were gonna never stay in Cornwall were. the whole time yeah um, which was very interesting but they did and yet and in the end I really didn't need them to like right. what we got was Super like I wasn't disappointed by the end. I think this too, and maybe we just need to start keeping a list of, I, I feel like we're creating a list of fantasy books that are good for young, maybe reluctant readers mm. who are, you know, maybe an older sibling or parent or whatever wants to help them get into reading. I feel like this would be a good book for that too, um, mm. because it is very um intriguing and fast paced like there's a lot of action sequences and chases and things like that Mm -hmm. um although i don't know you maybe you'll get bogged down in the sections where they're trying to translate latins (laughs) i couldn't say i really couldn't say those parts (laughs) um and what i also wanted to say about this being based in arthurian legend it's not totally packed up in a tidy neat package for the readers Mm. or for the kids and I feel like a lot of the Arthurian fantasy that I read when I was young was just like too self-serious it was very like grand and we have to you know honor the tradition and like get every piece completely right but it's all just legend anyway right Um, and I'm much more interested in an author like Susan Cooper who is 
playing with it and doing something different. And I feel like there are a lot of threads from Celtic mythology and other traditions in this book too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, good point. And I really appreciated that. This book also made me think of a few specific um, video games that I played. And I'm going to mention them now in case anyone else wants to <laughs> live out this feeling of being a character and oversee Understone. So, so what did it remind you of? So the game that like was just screaming at me the whole time and then I think I'm going to replay now um, was The Witness, um, oh, okay. which is a puzzle game that is set in a gorgeous mystery island where there are no other people and it is the same type of puzzle that you complete but it gets more complicated as the game goes on and it's the type of puzzle that is like brain breaking yeah (laughs) it's so hard sometimes to figure out what you're supposed to do but then those puzzles also kind of shame you with their simplicity at the same time um Sounds fun. I know this, and I'm not describing it very well. You kind of need to just experience it. I've never actually played it. I've only watched other people play it. Yeah, you kind of need to experience it for yourself. Um, You, like, follow a path along a grid. (laughs) That sounds sounds weird, but it doesn't sound fun. Uh, But a lot of the clues for how to figure out the puzzles are relating to shadows that fall on the immediate environment. Like, the landscape is a really, really important part of figuring out the puzzles. Okay. So that fundamental, like the map being the uh, coastline um, and being a picture of the coastline instead of like a top-down look at uh, important uh, landmarks and things like that that. um, really reminded me of that game. And yeah, that game is, it's so beautiful. It's, It's really fun and challenging i highly recommend it it's also very scary (laughs) even though there are no people in it you think someone's gonna pop out the entire time um and then it also reminded me of skyward sword Mm. um pretty intensely (laughs) Uh, i get that yeah yeah it uh reminds me of skyloft link's home sky island where he trains and returns to Throughout the game, Truisic reminds me of Skyloft and also just the, you know, discovering secret, enigmatic, historical items of import is very Zelda (laughs) is something that it has in common with our fantasy. Yeah, very good point. It's time for pretend food. Pretend food. I have a lot to say about the food in this book. It's good. It's uh. It's a good do you have any food book. Passages that you've pulled out. I've got passages. Yeah. Oh boy, do I have passages. <laughs> um, so I, one of my favorite characters in the book, because of her importance to pretend food, is <laughs> Mrs. Polk, yeah. the housekeeper yeah. who works for the family and stays in the great house. Um, she doesn't have a lot going on with her other than just continuing to provide mountains of incredible food, but. I respect her for that. Um, The kids. So there is also like Mrs. Polk really drives home the class difference in the book between the Drew Mm. kids. And I feel like a lot of the folks that are living in this town. um, I wonder if there is some something going on there too, or just some dynamic at play um, where they're they're vacationing. Like they're in this 
fishing town to for pleasure. Yeah. Um, their parents, their dad, um, I assume it has some kind of fancy job, fancy pantsy job so they can afford to do this and their mom can afford to um, paint. Although it sounds like she is professionally known yeah, as a painter. It sounds like she, makes some, sounds like she yeah, makes some kind of living off that. Yeah. Um, and I was really feeling that during the festival, mm. um, which the kids were kind of looking down on a little bit. And like the family in general had a bit of that feeling of like, oh, like the local folk are going to like don their costumes yeah. and parade around. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and it, yeah, th- so there was some like for me, there was some tension there and having Mrs. Polk, um, you know, providing like whatever wish the family could need mm-hmm. um but like she's also spying on them so right. i don't know maybe that's why she took the job it's complicated you yeah. know it's it's a beautiful book filled with plenty of complications it's yeah. not a simple children's fantasy book and i but appreciate that she is fantastic at making good food the uh, I forgot to mention earlier, but the language in this book is also fairly complex mm-hmm. for a children's book. Yeah. And when I was looking up Rum Babas, which we'll get to in a mm-hmm. moment, um, I found a like vocabulary page for teachers who might be um, teaching this book. Oh. And uh, the it just made me realize how uh, diverse the type of language used in the book is um, and how I do think it has more challenging words. Than, yeah, definitely. And also just it's like poetically gorgeous. Right. It's very too. well written. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Great book. Susan Cooper is a good writer. So when the kids are going off on their first picnic, they... Their adventure picnic. Yeah. (laughs) And the kids are trying to get ready to explore the house for the first time. And I think Barney isn't feeling into it at first. He cheers up when he says, we should have to take provisions with us so we can have a picnic when we get there. Which I loved doing when I was playing, too, as a kid. Taking provisions. Oh, yeah. It makes everything much more thrilling because you know you're going to get a reward at some point in the form of lunch. Mm Mm-hmm. And they casually ask Mrs. Polk for some picnic food, Mm -hmm. and she provides them with freshly baked scones cut in half, thickly buttered and put together again, a packet of squashed fly biscuits, three apples, and a great slab of dark yellowy-orange cake, thick and crumbling with fruit, and a big bottle of homemade lemonade. We learn later that the cake is saffron cake, which sounds amazing. Sounds expensive. Um, I'm looking up squash fly biscuits. They are Garibaldi biscuits. And yeah, okay, I've seen these before. They're really thin currant sandwiches. So there are two thin cookies that have currants smashed in the middle between them. And they and they're do supposed kind to look of, like squash flies. I mean, it does. We'll that it does kind of look. <laughs> Like squash flies. Also called fly sandwiches, flies graveyards, dead fly biscuits. Oh, I looked looked them up too. Yeah, that's gross. Oh, there's commercial version. Yeah. Crawford's Garibaldi biscuits. (laughs) Get them on Amazon. 
Um, overall, like all the food in the book is like enormous and creamy. <laughs> it's just excessive yeah. in like the best ways. Um, I am reminded of every, you know, fancy tea I've ever partaken in. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was in London, my mom and I went to uh, afternoon tea at the Savoy and I made myself <laughs> very sick. Oh no, you ate too much? I ate way too much. And I think the bigger problem was that I drank like four pots of rose tea that I think acted oh, as some kind of diuretic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was worth it. It really, I want to go really to was. high tea again. That was so yes, fun when we, we did that. that. Yeah. Um, in general, this book also made me think of other books that fetishize tea, like mm. just the liquid itself. I think we've okay. covered yeah. quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, Tamara Pierce loves tea yeah. in particular. Um, Robin McKinley. I, I was going to say Robin McKinley also yeah. has some really good hot drinks. She's she's more of a it's coffee not really person. Yeah. yeah, but but also that same like the ritual of making the drink, the act of drinking it, like mm-hmm. the overall experience is very very important. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Daja's book by Tamara Pierce goes deep into tea within the trader culture and. It's great. So you can check out our episode on that if you're interested. There's a line when Mrs. Polk makes herself tea that says, she made the tea very strong using one of the captain's best cups, very large and made of thin, almost translucent white china, which sounds really nice. I want to touch that cup. (laughs) I drank a lot of tea while I was reading this, to be honest. (laughs) Um, We get an apple tart and a mound of yellow cream for dessert after one of their dinners. I think it's Um, clotted cream. Yeah, probably. I don't like clotted cream. It's too much. Okay. (laughs) I like uh, whipped cream. When Jane is given lunch by Mrs. Polk when she's alone one day, we get the line, a mounded plateful of ham and salad waited for Jane in the dining room, like a small bright island in the glossy sea of the polished mahogany table. Beside it was a dish of gooseberry tart and a small jug of cream. Oh, that sounds so nice. I don't know if there's any more comforting feeling in uh, this cold life of ours than (laughs) someone making lunch for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And coming to sit at this gooseberry tart. I mean, no one's ever made me a gooseberry tart, so I guess I need to start seeking that out somehow. Um, And gobble it all down and... uh, uh, that just really um, tugged at something. Yeah, it just sounds so warm and nice. Well, when I was a kid, especially during summer, when we'd be out playing in the yard mm-hmm. and Anna would come, she would literally ring the bell on mm-hmm. the porch and we would run in and she would give us like sandwiches that were quite English tea like because she would cut mine into 12 pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to admit that? them those ham their white Madeline bread was butter, a little ham oh we didn't we had wheat bread though we were not ever given white bread bread butter <laughs> ham we all it was always the like whole grain wheat bread um Madeline had a lot of eating uh things when she was young so there were ways to get her to eat food and one of those was cutting it into small pieces and putting butter on it and putting butter on. Um, also, yeah, so we'd have ham and butter. We would have PBJs. And then 
um, milk and apples. So yes. very similar to, and carrots mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, so very similar to what these kids are eating here. Yeah. Um, we'd also eat piece, just slices of Velveeta cheese, <laughs> which was something that we enjoyed. <laughs> it's great. And we would play a game in which we tore the cheese in half and then pretended it was mashed back together. Do you remember this? I do. Yeah. And we'd say, is this cheese broken or whole? Wow. <laughs> that was the game. I wow, she's broken her hole. Yeah. Um. So a little less glamorous than Jane's lunch here, a little, but no less filled with love. Okay, rum babas. We get a line from uh, Polly from Polly Withers when she first meets. When she first meets the Drew parents and they've she's intruded on their dinner. <laughs> it's really weird the way they just show up. Yeah. Um, very, very if people intrusive. did that at my house, I would just be like, get out, please. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, be inviting like, them yeah, in for tea. Let's go sailing. <laughs> and they realize or they lie that they live like a block away from where they live mm. in London. Yeah. Um, and say that they live uh in Marleybun and that there is a, that little patisserie where you can get those gorgeous rum babas. Um, and that turns out to be a rum baba herring. <laughs> when I was reading the book, I thought I'd get to experience a rum baba at some point. And it's not a real thing. No, it is, but it's not in the book. You know, it never oh, actually is I eaten. See. It is yeah, never eaten by someone. Okay, so what is um, a rum baba? And the phrase rum baba is so intriguing. Um, one of our listeners yeah. who requested this, Dan, mentioned in an email that rum babas became for him what Turkish delight <laughs> was for many children. Right, yeah. <laughs> Chronicles of Darnia. Um, a rum baba or a baba al rum is a small yeast cake saturated in syrup made with hard liquor, usually rum, and sometimes filled with whipped cream or pastry cream. It is most typically made in individual servings, but sometimes can be made in larger forms similar to those used for bunt cakes. So it's like a delightful, rich, cream-topped, rummy little tree you should look you should look them up they look really good um and that combined with the the scones and the apple tart um made me really need a pastry i mean i really need one right now maybe we should go to macrina let's get pastries we're gonna go to macrina after we finish okay just a few more pretend foods here Mrs. Polk rushes to make thermoses of coffee and piles of sandwiches when they're going out pretend night fishing, a.k.a. actually looking at old maps. Um, There are pocket toffees that Simon unearths at one point. I love that passage because they're all cleaning out their pockets to see if they have anything useful. And Simon finds four toffees. And of course, they're like, well, guess we better eat these toffees. And they give the fourth one to Rufus. Which was very very nice. (laughs) Very cute. Although toffees aren't what you should feed dogs, so don't do that. Um, And then we mentioned earlier the pile of sandwiches that Barney consumes during his questioning slash hypnotism. He took a sandwich from the plate held out to him and bit into it cheerfully. (laughs) The bread was soft and new with plenty of butter. And in the middle, there was some delicious kind of potted meat. Would you guess that that passage takes place post kidnapping? I know <laughs> during a, a vigorous yeah, questioning, truly. by a very frightening man. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the power of a good sandwich. Um, it will save us all. It's very true. The other, 
the other day I I did like a mock interview thing at the law school to like talking to the current students, you know, as a way to get back, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody was just like, so like, thank you so much for doing this. Like you've had a long day. And I was just like, yeah, they, they gave me a free sandwich, man. <laughs> yeah. You called me earlier that I day and like, said, like, I get a free I sandwich. Tonight, but, like I get a free dinner. And I was like, you're not in law school anymore. <laughs> like, you can make your own you dinner. You can buy dinner. Yeah. <laughs> you have a job. <laughs> but no, it will always just make me so excited to get, it was a really good sandwich too. <laughs> what kind of sandwich? Um, it was a turkey sandwich from uh, uh, Byrack and Baguette. So they mm. do like um, Mediterranean themed mm. sandwiches mm-hmm. and it was, oh, it was just excellent. Yeah. Crusty baguette. Good stuff. That sounds great. That's all my pretend food. <laughs> I've exhausted it now, finally. Uh, thank you for listening. This is one of those fantasy books in which the food is from our world, but it is described with a great deal of care, and it is mentioned as often as possible yeah. with the sort of indulgence that I truly search for in every book I read. So yeah, thank no, you, the Susan food was Cooper. quite enjoyable. I'm hungry. Badass Lady Meter? Yes. So uh, I am ready. Should I go first? Yeah, you go first. (laughs) Um, So my badass lady is Jane Drew, the middle child, I believe, of the three children. The three children. (laughs) I'm being so weird about this. Um, The middle child of the Drew children. She is someone who I relate to because she mentions throughout the book her shyness holding her back from doing something that Mm. she might like to do. And when she decides to go to the vicarage to try to learn more about her guidebook and figure out the map, she is forcing herself to overcome that. And it's more important to her to get more information and try to bring something, unearth something while the boys are just sunning about on a yacht all day. Um, And she also really like stands up for herself when Simon is doing his dismissive, like, Oh, I'm just like a girl. Right. Kind of nonsense. Um, and overall I was just always impressed by her. Um, and I appreciated getting a girl child in the, um, you know, like three kids out roaming around exploring. She's never treated like, Oh, you need to be more careful or like you're delicate. Right. Um, she yeah. does everything with the boys. Yeah. Um, and I just appreciate her curiosity. I think that some of the map and guidebook deciphering she does is um, maybe not something I would be able to do. Oh, yeah, definitely I mean, not. There were many moments in this when I was like, OK, come on, you guys. Like, obviously, it's the moon. Right. <laughs> but there were other moments where I was like, oh, oh, OK. OK. Yeah, on this one, they got <laughs> yeah, me. They got me. Yeah. Um, my rating for Jane is a delicious lunch being prepared for you by someone who isn't trying to undermine you and your siblings. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so I, there's not really any other, uh, strictly speaking lady identifying person 
who I can pick out in this book. Yeah, another hard thing with Arthurian fantasy is there's just a really whole not lot very of many men. women. Yeah, a whole lot of men. There's Guinevere, but um, yeah. so I'm gonna give mine to Rufus. And I knew you were it. gonna do Rufus. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do Rufus. We didn't do just like animals, and animals in this book because there aren't that many. But <laughs> Rufus stands proud. Rufus. And my rating for Rufus is a perfectly timed piercing hell. And then it's mirrored by the later howl of pain when Mr. Hastings loses the manuscript. That's what it made Grace think of. Ah, Well, I think that's it for Oversea Understone. Thank you for recommending this book. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone who requested this. I uh, truly loved reading it. As Madeline would say, it was a romp. It was a romp. I did say that. Yeah. Um... If you would like to request a book, leave us a review. You can hit us up on the internet. Um, we are at dragonbabiespodcast.com. We're on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, on Twitter at dragonbabiespod, or you can email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. This is when we always announce the next book we're going to be covering. Our next book is going to be Wolf Tower by Tanith Lee. Oh, Tanith Lee. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> stay tuned. Um, I'm also going to release uh, Grace's Reading Corner soon about The Subtle Knife. I just, I already recorded it, but it wasn't good. So look out for that too. <laughs> Get excited. <laughs> maybe it's bad. Maybe it's just <laughs> mediocre. Who knows? We're doing our best over here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you. We appreciate so you. much. And I thank wish you. I could send a rumbaba to each and every one of you. But maybe you could send some. To maybe us. instead you could send them to us. We need to get a PO box. <laughs> Flip the script. And, like ask people to send us stuff. I'm just kidding. You don't need to do that. We have enough stuff. We appreciate all the listens and the emails more than we could say. Unless you want to send us rumbabas. I'm Grace and I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.